Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we take a populist approach to cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories, including Volvo to launch UK's largest and most ambitious autonomous driving trial. I have a chat with one of the leading figures in transport and traffic planning from the 60s, 70s and 80s on his memories, including implementing random breath testing in New South Wales. We road test the Audi A4 Avant, which is another name for a station wagon, but it is not the boring wagon of the past. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including William Shakespeare, New London Underground Map, marks 400 years since the playwright's death. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can hear longer versions of the interview, road test and quirky news, by going to the drivenmedia.com.au website or podcast the whole program from iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to start the program, let's have the news. Tripping or falling on Australian streets sends over 5,000 pedestrians to hospital each year, even more than pedestrian injuries resulting from collisions with cars. The research, the first of its kind in Australia, was undertaken by the Monash University Accident Research Centre. The report, entitled Four Related Injuries While Walking in Victoria, shows that while collisions with vehicles result in about 1,600 pedestrian casualties in Victoria each year, Pedestrian falls account for an average of 1,680 hospital admissions and 3,545 emergency department presentations. And still in Victoria, the TAC and Clemager Advertising have launched a new campaign that is based on research which shows that children begin absorbing their parents' driving behaviour from a very early age. Titled Strings, the campaign is based on research that shows that children start taking in their parents' driving behaviours at an earlier age than most people would expect. The aim of the campaign is to encourage parents to be positive driving role models so the next generation of drivers are safe on the nation's roads. In their first year of driving, young people in Victoria are almost four times more likely to be involved in a fatal or serious injury crash than more experienced drivers. Car companies are becoming more and more involved in car ownership and operation. In Southern California, Toyota Insurance Management Solutions, or TIMS, will support the development of telematics car insurance services for Toyota customers. Telematics refers to the blending of information technology and wireless telecommunications for long-distance transmission of computerized information. Telematics has many applications, but in this case, a primary one will be to monitor Toyota customers' driving patterns and develop car insurance with rates based on the individual driver's behind-the-wheel behaviour instead of broad statistical information. This will allow people to start buying insurance by the week. If you drive aggressively that week, your rate will go up the following week. A female-only bus service aimed at protecting women from sexual harassment has recently been launched in China, drawing both praise and criticism. Sexual harassment is a common, yet largely ignored, problem on China's public transportation system. A survey has found that more than 50% of women have experienced inappropriate touching or body contact while using the country's trains and buses. 
In 2014, the Women's Federation of Guangzhou, a state-affiliated group, found that 85% of all sexual assaults in Guangzhou, a city in southern China, occurred while victims used the city's public transportation network. Women throughout Asia face similar problems. Toyota's metro system has had women-only carriages for more than a decade, and India's railway network introduced them for commuter trains in 2009. Volvo Cars is to begin the UK's most ambitious autonomous driving trial next year in order to speed up the introduction of driverless technology. The Swedish company has given a commitment that no one will be seriously injured or killed in a new Volvo by the year 2020. Volvo's UK-based test is called Drive Me London and will begin in early 2017 with a limited number of semi-autonomous driving cars and expand in 2018 to include up to 100 cars, making it the largest and most extensive autonomous driving testing program in Britain. Autonomous cars are thought to produce significant improvements in safety, congestion, pollution and time-saving. A new company in America has built a sleeper bus with Pullman-style berths. The intent is to allow passengers to travel from San Francisco to Los Angeles in the manner of the old sleeper trains. Tickets are between $1 and $200, $48 during the trial phase, which is more expensive than the $38 Greyhound ticket, but much cheaper than a hotel at either end. So if you have a morning meeting, you can sleep the night away, arrive rested, and come out ahead. The bus could also be used by people with a long commute. The bus offers free Wi-Fi as well as tea and coffee. There are some concerns about bike sharing schemes, especially when it might result in people with limited cycling experience or limited knowledge of the local street system participating in the scheme. Tourists are a typical example of who some people might be concerned about. There can even be some intolerance to visitors or part-time bike users by more experienced riders. However, according to recently released research, the rate of accidents among bike-sharing participants was actually lower than regular drivers. The results come from a peer-reviewed report, Bike Sharing and Bicycle Safety, which used interviews, long-term data and focus groups to examine bike-sharing schemes in three major US metro areas, Washington DC, Minneapolis-St. Paul and the San Francisco Bay Area. And that has been the news. In 1964, a meeting was held amongst a group of traffic and transport experts to talk about the establishment of an association that particularly represented the needs of an emerging workforce in this area. The meeting was addressed by Harry Campkin. Harry's work and style helped establish traffic and transport management beyond just engineering and into an environment that involved a wide range of people. He helped show that it was a necessary, credible and desirable profession to be part of. The meeting led to the establishment of what was to become the Australian Institute of Traffic Planning and Management. The AITPM celebrates its 50th anniversary this year, so it is fitting to talk to Harry about the life and times of this most important profession. As a young engineer, I looked on Harry as a shining light. He was enthusiastic, encouraging and broad thinking. I watched and learned. Harry, it is lovely to catch up with you. 
Well, good morning. Thank you very much for your time. You were there at the time when probably one of the big achievements was seatbelts. Was that a hard debate? Was that obvious and it was just a question of processing it through? Mm, it was obvious to some people, but not obvious, not so obvious to decision makers. There were two people pretty influential in that, but one was a, a David Herbert, who was at one time the head of the Traffic Ethics and Research Unit after Michael Henderson left it. And uh, he uh, introduced compulsory seatbelt using in the Snowy Mountains Authority when he worked for them, and uh, he demonstrated there that he could get uh, that there there are a lot of uh, lives and injuries uh, saved there and the, the other big influence of course was in Victoria where uh, where the introduction of seatbelts compulsory wearing of seatbelts anyway was introduced before it was in New South Wales but the traffic accident research unit people under Henderson at the time they were very influential in uh, convincing uh, the government that uh, it had to be introduced in New South Wales too. Of course, the other one was drink driving. I remember talking to Peter Brock, who has his, had his number for a long time as 05, as pa- campaigning for that level of blood alcohol as being the one that over that you should be booked, whereas other states were lower. That's really getting into a social issue as well, isn't it? It is, and it's very interesting the, the way that developed too. Uh, the, on advice from Taru, we asked the government, this was the traffic authority at that time, we asked the government to uh, introduce uh, 05, but uh, uh, we had 08 at the time. I'm sorry, we didn't have either 05 or 08 prior to 1980. We just had the drive under the influence legislation. We wanted the government to introduce 05 because Victoria was getting good results with it. The government didn't want to do that. They thought that was too harsh. Parenthetically, many of them, we think, were a bit scared that they might get lumbered driving home from late-night sittings of Parliament. So they thought, oh, it might be fair enough, so they introduced that. But the concept of random breath testing was the real big change, the big breakthrough, of course, and... and that was experimented with in Victoria with very mixed results during the 1970s, the late 1970s. The results looked promising, but they weren't, their sample sizes weren't very big and things like that. So uh, I sent some people from Taru down to Victoria to see what they were doing down there that we could build on. And they came back strangely enough and said, look, the random breath testing's not the right thing to do. You should focus your efforts because your focusing can be more efficient. But I, I wasn't too happy with that. I, in fact, I found some problems with their analysis and uh, we had another look at it all and, and convinced the uh, New South Wales government eventually that they should set up a, a stay safe, an, inter- an all-parties road safety committee, to see what Victorians were doing that was uh, giving them such good results. And they came back and, and we, we took some police people down there and some politicians down there and looked at that and said, well, this random breath testing that they're doing there will probably be very good if it was done on a bigger scale. Came back and Stay Safe uh, looked into that and, and recommended it. We did it on a really big scale, uh, much bigger than we'd even envisaged the government would be prepared to do. And that was thanks to George Petrula, a member for Liverpool at the time, and the President's chairman of SOSA, and Peter Cox, the minister at the time. And they were prepared to back that idea, and uh, that was the biggest 
if you like, magic bullet we've had in road safety in Australia ever. That came from looking at what other people had done and seeing what we could do to improve it, and that was a multidisciplinary approach too. A considerably longer interview can be heard on our website at drivenmedia.com.au where Harry talks about the early years and what he sees for the future of transport management. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. The station wagon got its name from the horse-drawn wagon that was used to carry passengers from the railway station to the local hotel. Now, for much of its car life, the station wagon has maintained a utilitarian function, being more practical than beautiful. Ideal for families or sales reps who have to carry their merchandise. The boring but practical image? Just think of the Camry wagon. In Australia, the Ford Falcon was more hearse-like than sports car. The image was not helped by movies such as National Lampoon's Vacation. Although there was a time when it was associated with the surfing set, the famous Woodies were part of that. Now we have the expression sports wagon. It is for people into lifestyle activities. Audi launched their new A4 sedan a few months ago, but now they have come back with their Avant, which is typically what German car makers call their station wagons. The Audi Avant will cost you about $3,000 more than the sedan. Getting one on the road will start at about $70,000 when you include on-road costs, and that can vary by $2,000 or $3,000 either way, depending on which state you're in. So is the Audi Avant a practical hack or a modern, trendy vehicle for the fun-loving set? Respected motoring journalist Ian Crawford and I were at the launch, and Ian joins me on the line. Ian, thanks very much for your time. It's always a pleasure, David. Now, you have a little bit of history on really extending the back of cars, even if they were sports models. Yeah, the sports wagon actually goes back a bit longer than most people think. The now defunct um, British boutique car company Reliant had a sport wagon called the Scimitar GTE in the, the late 60s. It was a, a very, very handsome looking thing with a Ford V6 engine in it. And then the, there was the, the Volvo P1800 ES, which was launched in 72. It was based on the 1800S Coupe that was made famous by Roger Moore in his TV series, The Saint. The ES1800 only lasted a couple of years and, and, and it was snuffed out largely by new American emissions laws and things. and only produced 8,000 of them. But uh, interestingly, uh, Volvo resurrected the, the rear end look somewhat in the C30 hatch. So there's, there's a bit of a history behind sports wagons. Yeah, I remember the C30 hatch particularly, and I think some of the earlier Volvos looked a bit tacked on in some ways. They didn't look a flowing car, but nonetheless an important part of our history. Now, the Audi A4, the station wagon, it, this one comes with only two engines, no diesel and no little small 1.4. They're both two litres? Yeah, they're both two litres. Uh, the entry-level um, front-wheel drive version, which kicks off at, at 63,900, has got the two-litre TFSI petrol engine, mated with a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission. 
It's got 140 kilowatts and 320 newton metres and a pretty impressive uh, fuel consumption figure of just 5.6 litres. And the upmarket one, you get both more power and a few other things? Oh yes, you get more power and the other one, the, you get the Quattro, the, the uh, Audi's legendary all-wheel drive system. It's also 2 litres, but it's got 185 kilowatts of power and 370 newton metres of torque with a, a 0 to 100 kilometres an hour sprint time of six seconds, you can certainly call it a sports sedan. To put that in perspective, if you think of what is probably the most legendary Australian muscle car, the Ford Falcon GTO Phase 3, that did 0 to 100 in 8.9 seconds. This Audi wagon does it in six. That's a big improvement, and to get any improvement at that level is working very hard. Now, how does it drive? We had a chance, and we are talking just before we came on air, we were driving it through the country roads around Kyogle. Oh, they're lovely roads, aren't they? I, I put uh, a comment about driving in around that area on Facebook, and all our mates wrote in comments about how lovely it was. How did the Audi handle those situations? As you know, because you were my co-driver, we had, uh, we had the two-wheel drive and, and the Quattro. The Quattro, of course, is seriously impressive. It, it corners like it's on rails. It's, uh, it fills the driver with enormous feelings of security. But I have to say that while Audi knows a thing or two, obviously, about, about all-wheel drive transmissions with the Quattro, it certainly knows a thing about front-wheel drive and pushing the car quite hard through corners with its front wheel drive it turned in superbly in fact it was honestly to me quite difficult to pick the difference in some driving conditions between the quattro and the front wheel drive and on the longer interview we have with ian about the audi a4 avant which you can find on our website at drivenmedia.com.au we talk about its good looks its features and the rather expensive range of options that you can get with the vehicle you're listening to Overdrive. And it's time for some quirky news. And again, we're joined by Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, just very quickly, uh, this is a story. Phil Sayer, he was 62 years old. He was a former radio presenter. He died, sadly. He used to work for BBC Radio in Manchester, and he also read regional television news. So what is his obituary all about? He was the man who gave the voice to the Mind the Gap announcement. I'm just staggered that that's the thing he's going to be remembered by. Gentlemen, perhaps there's a chance for us yet. Yeah, we need to record something, <laughs> uh, something for posterity, don't we, that uh, somebody can use on... Um on public transport. I think this is what they're talking about. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. I'd like to offer, um, uh, please use all doors of the train. <laughs> what, at once? <laughs> Not just the ones nearest the stairs. <laughs> Not the ones convenient for you. Use all the doors of the train. I like the sort of... Um, very passive-aggressive uh, announcement that you get in Sydney, which, which is, you know, our train has 16 doors. You know, you can use all of them. Very passive-aggressive. I think that's uh, why the gap is it's short, sweet. It's absolutely clear. It's not polluted by all the sort of uh, political correctness of please mind the gap or would you mind please minding the gap if, if it's convenient for you. Yes, look out for the gap, you idiot. 
You remember our friend Bob Carruthers? He was our sound guy. He used to record sounds and do that. One time he wanted to record the general milling around of people at a railway station. So there he was, headphones on and recorder slung over his shoulder and a microphone he's holding out standing in the middle there looking like an absolute idiot. But he said he persevered with it and then he played it on some situation and he got a legal note from the guy who did the voice of the background announcements saying that you didn't have copyright to use my (laughs) voice. All right, let's go to a serious so-called story. A Shakespearean map of London, underground, has been unveiled ahead of the 400th anniversary of the famous playwright's death, part of the series of eye-catching initiatives to celebrate the Bard. Tube station names are replaced with Shakespeare-inspired ones, and there's even a new phone app also released to send Shakespearean-style messages if you want to. Gentlemen, is this going to be a way to enhance public transport or is it just a little bit of frivolity? I think it's fantastic, David, because what's in a name, David? (laughs) That which we call a town hall by any other name would smell as, well, I couldn't say sweet, could we? (laughs) I, I love the idea. I think it's fantastic. It's got it's, the stations of renamed characters like Lady Macbeth and Timon of Athens and Coriolanus. Fantastic stuff because there's so much of Shakespeare in our daily lives and and our daily language. Um, so many things are inspired by Shakespeare. So I, I love the the sort of um, you know, but soft what light through yonder window breaks. It is the train, you know, <laughs> or the, the vandal on the train. <laughs> yes. And then getting on as the sort of lay on Macduff kind of thing, isn't it? Shakespeare characters are not usually likable in many ways. There's not a lot of saints in there. They tend to be imperfect human beings. Although there is Desdemona, but look where that got her. She was mm. honourable in that. But of course, one of the good good girls of uh, Shakespeare is Portia. But I'm not sure you want to name a railway station <laughs> of something that sounds like a car. That's true. That could be, could be confusing. King Lear, that's the station for all the people trying to take upskirt photographs. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he had some bad personal judgment skills, didn't he? Out damn spot and all that. So, oh, no, that was uh, out in oh, vile yeah. jelly, I think, was yeah. uh, King Lear, wasn't it? Had his eyes plucked out. I know a poem about King Lear. Daughters three had aged Lear. Two were rotten, one sincere. He misjudged the loving kid, cursed and cut her off, he did. But the others, flush with gain, tossed him out into the rain. All his gang Lear came untied. Sweet Cordelia reached his side. Just too late to save the play, overkill was underway. <laughs> Now, there's a little summation of that. But, of course, the other two daughters were Goneril and Reagan, which sounds like a disease or a demented president. I'm not sure you want your station named after that. Along with this, David, they've also released a smartphone app, of course, called mm. Shakespeak, which will convert all of your text messages to Shakespearean prose. I tried to do it, and I typed in things like, it handled well uh, with a fairly tight suspension, but it didn't get me very far. <laughs> <laughs> I did have, it has enough power to handle most situations, and it is to hast in our power to dungeon most situations. Right. <laughs> I think we could redo the way we do road tests, I think, add a little bit of class. I mentioned a car name, of course, Cressida. Mm. Yes, that's a, a Shakespearean um, 
figure. Troy Lisson Cressida. She was, of course, a lady of fairly poor character. She used her, her own wiles, her own uh, feminine wiles, to achieve her own end. Is that what Toyota did with that car? Well, you, I told the story. They were going to call it the Stanley. The last minute someone said, look, you know, we've had the, the Cedric and all those things to, <laughs> to do names. with English. The Stanley's not the way to do it. They said, well, give us a name from Shakespeare, and they got Cressida without really knowing what it was about. The other thing is, I, I'm not sure this is good for school children because I think they'll vandalise it because they've been made to study Shakespeare. You know the Blackadder principle? Yes. <laughs> the other problem is, it, do you need a guidebook or a scout line summary to get around the station? Some cliff notes or whatever they call them. What would you do if you had other plays had names? Obviously, Streetcar Named Desire would be an appropriate play. Stella Street. What about uh, poems, David? What about for Australia? We could have The Man from Snowy River. Oh, yes. You could have a station called Old Regret. (laughs) It certainly fits movement at the station, doesn't it? There is a lovely play, a very funny play by Michael Frey called Noises Off, but that wouldn't be appropriate for the train either, would it? (laughs) Maybe Maybe the quiet car. Brian, you have a story. That's from your company too, isn't it? It is indeed, David, where the company I work for has uh, made an interesting proposal to the Tomorrow's Train Design Today competition. It's uh, part funded by uh, Britain's Network Rail and it's organised by the Rail Safety and Standards Board. And the idea is that that engineers come up with uh, kind of interesting and novel ideas for trains and and uh, Arab's idea was um, based on the bouncy castle idea and the the idea that uh, you could deflate the seats in the carriage during rush hour to make more room for passengers. So in the in the peak periods, that they'd be deflated and people would be able to stand, and then in the off peak period you'd you'd inflate the seats to provide more seats. Apparently, it's a, it was quite a Quite well received, the novelty of the seats, making people smile. And um, when using the prototypes, apparently two volunteers struggled to resist the temptation to try to bounce their friends up and down. Of course, that is immediately uh, would be a serious problem. And surely there must be some humour in that story. And indeed there is. Go to our website for the longer interview with Brian and Errol at drivenmedia.com.au. We also talk about Germany installing traffic lights in footpaths for cell phone distracted pedestrians. And a traffic offender in Vietnam has to write 50 lines for their offence. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Harry Camp, Ian Crawford and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of the features, road tests and quirky news on our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.